Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, we will be in here at 8 o'clock, and we'll be praying. And uh, it's a very important time for us to be praying and, and moving and pushing things. Really, much of what's going on that you see on the news that looks like people are doing all kinds of odd things or the attack and the division that is coming, uh, so much more of it is spiritual than we usually give credit for. And since we as believers have authority in the realm of the Spirit, then it is uh, really imperative that we continue in prayer for our nation, for our leaders. And so, uh, again, some people may say, why don't we just continue on corporately? There, you know, and everybody does stuff differently. But we don't want to just pray when we come together. We want to learn to pray without ceasing, to learn to really stir up what's on the inside of us. We do have that push with corporate prayer. But, you know, just as we've learned throughout this year, uh, although it's not ideal, it's not all God's plan, that if we know that we are all together, but we're somewhere else, right? If we, we know and we say we got together and prayed, and tomorrow we're still going to pray, and at noon we're going to get together for take 10 prayer, we know we can be in different places praying and still lifting up a fragrance to God, still lifting up a petition uh, to our Father. And so we're going to be doing that this week, next week, uh, into the elections, and we may just keep going because I believe there's, we're in a season of prayer and, and uh, we need to stay with some things, turning the corner, uh, really again uh, declaring that God's plans would be done right here on earth as in heaven, right? We, we're pulling on heaven, heaven and earth to meet, and, and that, that explosive power that it comes to pass when heaven and earth meet. And really, some things will only be changed in the culture, in the society, in the generation will only be changed when heaven and earth meet. And so we are the ones, we are the ambassadors of heaven on the earth, and so we will be praying. First, or Second Timothy, excuse me, uh, chapter 1, and starting in verse 6, we began uh, to talk about this just a, a couple of Sunday nights ago. And uh, Paul is talking to Timothy here, and we've read a little bit more of this scripture uh, in the last couple of weeks, but verse 6, it says, therefore I remind you, therefore I remind you, we could say that God is talking to us, you could say that uh, through this word, Pastor Mark is talking to me today, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, right? Paul is talking to Timothy personally, many of you have had hands laid on you, but at the same time, God has spoken to you. There's things that are deposited on the inside of you. If you understand impartation, you've been in different meetings where God's imparted things. He's dropped things down on the inside of you, whether by the laying on of hands, by a word of God spoken, by prayer time, something's dropped down on the inside of you. And understand that those things that get down on the inside of us, especially today, in the day that we live in where there's pressures, where there's forces that would come to make us try to step back and... and and be intimidated by what the enemy is doing, he says, stir up the gift of God which is in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's very critical today that we stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of us, the grace of God that's on the inside of us, to have a sound mind. There's many things going on in our world today, some things that we don't understand, some things that... that, that People would say, man, this is just crazy, right? It's not a soundness of mind. It's not even rational sometimes. When people get stirred up in their emotions, in their minds, sometimes they go beyond hope and they think everything is hopeless. But God has not given us that spirit, spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of hopelessness. He's not given us a spirit that says we're weak. But he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a well-disciplined mind. And those of us that know him, it's a day and a time for people to rise up with a clear mind, a clear way of thinking, right? To present rational, uh, justified, uh, righteous thinking, right? In our, our areas and spheres of influence, within our government, within the things that are going on, it takes people with a sound mind. It doesn't take weak people, but it takes people who have the power of God to accomplish things. Amen? And so we're looking at a day and a time. He goes on in verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us. This is uh, where I want to get, and then we'll move on. He says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. If you were with us this morning, we looked at that in Hebrews. He said this. He said, Listen, you have a heavenly 
calling. You're holy people of God and have a heavenly calling. Here he calls it a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, right? Sometimes we get into our works and we just say, look at my works, but the holy calling is not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and the grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And so when he talks about stirring up the gift of God that is within us, we looked at this and Peter said, listen, there is a gift that's in you by the grace of God and the gifts and the graces of God that are on the inside of us, the gift operates by God's grace, by God's empowerment, by God's influence in that. So he's saying, listen, we're stirring up the gift so that we can fulfill this holy calling that is not by our strength or our might or our works, but it's a holy calling that is designed by his own purpose. And so we talked about last week that really, how do we stir up the gift of God? Go ahead and stir up that gift that's in you. Well, one way, number one, to stir up the gift of God within you is the word. The word is alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides or penetrates asunder between the soul and the spirit. Listen, with so much emotion going on, with everything being so amped up and hyped up right now in the day that we live in, we need something solid that penetrates all of that emotion and goes right to the truth, right to the spirit and who we are, right? And so when we meditate on the word, we talked about this this morning, that the way that we really uh, move and we overcome a hard heart is to meditate on the word. And when we soften our heart to meditate on the word and we mutter the word every single day, what does it do to our heart? It plants, it plants the word of God in our hearts, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we hear ourselves declare the word of God about us, about his promises, about what Christ has done for us, every promise of God has its yes and its so be it in Christ, right? And so we start declaring in our own life the promises of God. We declare, no matter what it looks like, we declare the promises of God. No matter what somebody has done to us, we declare what Jesus has done for us, and we counteract what the world would try to do so that that word on the inside of us gets planted, it gets rooted, and it begins to draw up into that the very life of God to produce fruit or to bring to fruition the things that God has intended for us. The word really is the thing that stirs our hearts. It, you know, we talked about that, that when Jesus spoke to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, when they recalled that, they said when he spoke, when he recalled, remember Jesus was talking to them, and he recalled almost the whole gospel to them in walking and to bring revelation. And they said, man, when he spoke, did our hearts not burn within us? The prophet said, the word of God is like fire shut up in my bones. Jeremiah said, listen, God, you put your word, and I thought I would declare it. And when I declared the word of God, I got, I got kickback when I declared the word of God. So he said, I decided I didn't like that kickback, so I'm not going to say the word of God anymore. And he said when he stopped that, he couldn't help himself. It was like fire shut up in his bones. I wonder if we recognize that and we realize that. Have we been meditating on the word? Have we been listening to the word? Have we been stirring up what God has for us to the point that where even though society says don't say it and we, we want to, we don't know what to do, but we can't help it because it's like fire shut up in our bones. It's so stirred up. It's like somebody kindled something on the inside of me that cannot be quenched. And the word of God is like that fuel to that fire that cannot be quenched. And so the number one way of getting that stirred up is to meditate in the word day and night, the promises of God, the plans of God, what he's done for you. And when you realize, listen, what everybody else has said about me, or when I look and talk about my limitations and, you know, I don't know if I can do that. But instead of that, we start talking about what Jesus has said, what he's done, how he's redeemed us. We let him bring light to that word and reveal it. It starts to stir something on the inside of us. The second way that we can really begin to understand and stir up the gift on the inside of us is through prayer. Through prayer. Prayer is such a powerful thing. I think in the day that we live in 2,000 years later, we're not, I think sometimes that we take for granted the power of prayer. You know, I like to say, and, and sometimes, I, I, you know, I go back to this, and just a couple of weeks ago, you know, when Jonathan was speaking, when I was gone, and he was talking about the purpose and the promise, and, you know, just the week before, 
I talked about I can just go into my parents' house, I can grab, go to the refrigerator and all that stuff. And, and then he came in after that and he said, it's not all about going into your parents' house and, and getting all this stuff. It's about spending time with your parents, <laughs> right? And, and that was good because it's about spending that time. But at the same time, you know, when we look at that and we understand we've taken for granted in some ways that, you know, 2,000 years later, we're like, yeah, I, I just, you know, I can pray if I want. If not, I come in, I ask God for whatever I want, and then I leave and I come, and that's just prayer. But I want to just start tonight. Turn over to Matthew 27. Because I don't want us to take for granted, though we have a right to pray, and we shouldn't get too locked up about it, we have a privilege. Yes. We have a privilege of prayer. And if we take prayer too lightly, just off the cuff and casually, we don't have and we can't establish the depth of relationship that God truly decided or, or had purposed for us. And so in Matthew, the 27th chapter, and we'll go to the 50th verse. Jesus is on the cross. I mean, we're jumping in in the middle of the story. You can read it. You might know it. And he's gone through a number of things, and uh, he was thirsty. He had cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so they had put that uh, sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And then in verse 50, it says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, you have to look back to the book of John. It says he just cried out, and it says he cried out again because it says he had cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he was thirsty, then they gave him a drink, and then he cried out again. You have to look to the book of John to see what he's cried out again. He cried out again, it is finished. It is finished. Now, listen, when he cried out and he said, it's done, it's finished, verse 51, it says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks split. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Man, let me just tell you, when Jesus died, stuff changed. Stuff changed. People came out of the grave. I mean, you got to just think about it. You know, when uncle so-and-so knocked on the door who'd been in the grave, that had to be a little bit startling. But we want to we camp right here for just a moment. The veil rent from top to bottom. What was the veil? When we look at the tabernacle that God created, there were places where, where the people could come. Then there were places where the priests could come. But there was only one place that the high priest could come. No person other than the high priest was allowed behind the veil. There was something behind the veil. It was the very presence of God. Until this day, everyone except for the high priest could not come behind the veil. Even their praying was a prayer that was veiled. Every time they looked at the Old Testament law, it says there was a veil upon their minds. They could not see what was going on. But Jesus did something that split the veil from top to bottom. It opened up the presence of God for everyone to access. And so turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He's talking about that Jesus going in as our high priest, going into the holy of holies. It says, listen, he, he became like us so that he might be merciful to us and faithful. And he was a high priest that went in to make that way, to make that intercession as a high priest between us and God for our sins. Verse 18, it says, For in that he himself, he himself has suffered being tempted. In that he is able to aid those who are tempted. 
See, sometimes we're like, what am I going to do with this? The Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation. He didn't say it won't come. He said, but with a temptation that's more than you are able, he offers a way of escape. What's that way of escape? The one who has been tempted but did not sin that can help you with your temptation. He wants to break the power of that. And Jesus is in that place. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. In other words, he said, listen, God made an oath a long time ago to save the world. He said that he would bring the Redeemer into the world, the Savior, the Messiah, to save our souls. And God is not a man that he should lie or the Son of Man that he should repent. If he said it, he will do it. And God cannot lie. And so he said, we put our trust in this. In verse 19, this hope that we have, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Where, listen to this, the forerunner has entered. The forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What is he saying? God promised a redeemer, and we hold fast to the expectation or the hope of our redemption. Why? It's something that's an anchor to our soul. Because Jesus went in behind the veil before we ever did. He was a forerunner into that place. What was he doing? He was making propitiation. He was putting his blood upon the mercy seat of God. And once he did that, he went behind the veil and interceded for us and put the blood on the mercy seat. And when he died, when all that was happening spiritually, the veil was rent from top to bottom and opened up access to that very meeting place where the blood of Jesus was shed, that very place where mercy triumphs over judgment. When we talk about stirring up the gift that's on the inside of you, one of the things that keeps us from operating and flowing in a gift that God put on the inside of us is sometimes the enemy reminds us of where we've been and the mistakes that we've made and how could you ever minister to somebody else after what you've done. And the way that we get over that and stir up the gift is when we approach that place and understand that the blood is sprinkled right there. And it's not about what I have done in the past. It's what he's done for me that creates an open access to my future. So go back to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. In the 15th verse, it says, we do, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now listen, this is the place where we begin to understand how important and what a privilege prayer is. He said, let us therefore, because our high priest went in before us as a forerunner to take care of the work and finish what we could not finish by sprinkling that spotless blood before God. He said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And there's a purpose to that. Why would we come boldly to the throne of grace? To obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, to find mercy, to, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just in the, the time that we live in, the terminology that we have. So I was praying about this. This term came to me. This is the most peaceful transition of power that exists to mankind. When you come before the throne of grace, you transition from the power of sin that has kept you from God to the power of the grace of God. In the flesh, it's a struggle, but when we come in prayer to the throne of grace, it's a peaceful transition of power in our life. 
where we lay off the power that once ruled over us, and now we transition into the power of God that now wants to control, lead, guide, and direct us into our design, preferred, designated future that we were created to walk in. But it doesn't happen out here by our works and by everything that we can figure out. But we come into prayer to the throne of grace. We kneel at that place understanding what we deserve is judgment. But what Jesus offered was mercy. And in that place of understanding that, now mercy has come. And when we know mercy has come and we're washed and sin no longer has power over us, the guilt and shame of that no longer can control our life, the fear that accompanies that of approaching God, that old place where I've done wrong, I can't approach God, that fear is dispelled, and we kneel before him knowing that he is our Father God, and we have been able to come into his presence. And that peaceful transition in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures evermore. And we begin to realize the reality in prayer that, listen, I'm not only in his presence and I should rejoice, but in Christ Jesus I am seated with him at his own right hand in heavenly places. There's pleasure evermore. Why? Because at that right hand, through Jesus Christ, we have authority over every principality, over every power, every every ruler of the darkness of this age. We have power over spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We no longer have to be ruled and guided by, by the things that the enemy has done. We no longer have to be ruled and guided by our past. But now we have power and authority. It's so important that in that place of prayer, we understand that not only is there miracle working power to transition our life and create miracles, not only for us and in us, but for others, but there is authoritative power in that place of prayer. There's that place where we can take authority, not only the things that dog our life, but we can begin to intercede for our nation. We can begin to intercede for our leaders from a very place and position at the right hand of the Father, understanding our place in Christ. So turn over to Ephesians 6. I know that you know and understand, many of you have taken Bible school. But again, I just want you to think about that. As we get into that and we talk about prayer and we come and go from prayer, but prayer is such a privilege It took Jesus hanging on the cross, dying to say it's finished. His body was broken so the veil could be opened. He was the one. It was his blood, his spotless blood, not our works, his spotless blood that is sprinkled upon that place. And because he did that, we can come boldly. But remember, we should always not just come boldly, but we should come reverently. Sometimes we come in casual. I can come boldly. Well, boldly doesn't mean irreverently. Boldly means I come confidently knowing what Christ has done for me. Not what I've done for him, but what he's done for me. So I can boldly come as a son and a daughter, but I come reverently because you are the almighty God. And when we have that straight, that reverence that you are the almighty God, I'm approaching the creator of the heavens and the earth. I'm approaching the creator of my life. I am approaching the designer of my destiny. I am approaching the one who has gifted me in a supernatural way, in a special way, with his own grace, he's gifted me. This is not about me. This is about what God has planned for me and what he's created for me to do that I could not do myself, and now I am in the presence of my creator, the almighty God. I'm so glad to be here. I'm not afraid to be here. I'm a child and a son, but you're the one with the answers. You're the one with the direction. You are the one that set my destiny, not me. I'm not here to tell you what you should do for me. I'm here to approach you and petition you, requesting you about my life. What do you have for my life? How does my life need to change to be more pleasing to you? And too often we come in boldly to tell God what he should do. Instead of saying, this is where my life is, what is it that you want me to do? Instead of coming in and saying, God, this is what your word says, I'm putting you in remembrance of what you've said. I know you're not a man that you should lie or the son of man that you should repent. If you said it, you will do it. So I'm following your word and I'm putting you in remembrance of your word. Respectfully, God, this is what you've said. 
And in that honor, God, as we said today, we come in that honor, God will begin to tell us secrets. It's in that place that he starts to speak to you about the gifts that are in you and the things that he's called you to do to lead others in their life and be influential to them. Say, well, I can't do that, God. They won't listen. He'll give you the words to say. God, I can't go there. They wouldn't let me in. He'll open up access. You'll say, God, I've never, I've tried that before. It didn't work. And he'll say, I have a secret for you, but we have to find it in that place of prayer so he can show us what he's called us to, what he's gifted us and graced us to be able to do. Because what we could not do, that grace puts a favor upon us to gain access to what God's called us to do. See, many times people know what God's called them to do, and the moment they hear that in prayer, they get up and they go out to do what God said to do, but then they start to try to do it in their own strength. And in your own strength, you run into obstacles, but with the grace of God on you, not only do you have power to do it, what you could not do, but you also have favor to grant you access into that place. So we're not just looking and saying, God, if you call me to do that, give me power. We're saying grace is that favor of God. So when I'm walking in the grace of God, that favor to get places where I could not go, all of a sudden I approach and God has opened up access, favor to go, to approach things I could not approach before. So we're saying, listen, this is where I've been. This is what looks hopeless. But now I'm asking you to wash me, to cleanse me, to forgive me. And now I'm looking for the grace, the favor, the ability, and the influence to move forward past my sin and into the righteous walk that I have with you. In Ephesians chapter 6, we recognize this privilege. We also recognize this, the power of prayer. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen to this. He said, get yourself ready. When you get ready to pray, when you get ready to intercede for your family, for your nation, when you get ready to move into your future that God has ordained you to do, when you get ready to pray about your future, when you get ready to stand for someone else, he said, don't just go in as if there's not some battle that's going to take place. He said, clothe yourself in the armor of God and the strength of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He goes on to say for me. He said, listen, prayer is not a casual thing. Prayer is a privilege that we enter into the presence of God. But as we enter into the presence of God and we begin to take that authority from the right hand of God, we can't just do it casually. We have to understand who we are, what we have, clothed in the armor of God, and begin to pray in and from the Spirit. The strength of prayer is when we pray in and from the Spirit. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, he's just talked about the love of God. In verse 1, it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Why is it so vital to, for us to pray in the spirit? Because in the spirit, we are speaking mysteries, divine secrets with God. There are those secrets that we talked about today with an open heart that we are going, they're divine secrets. They're things that are not hidden from us, but they're hidden for us. Colossians chapter three says, if you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Ephesians tells us that we are seated with him right there in heavenly places. He said, listen, if you were raised with Christ, Seek the things right there where you are seated with Christ, not the things on this earth, but the things right there where you live at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. 
Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died. The old man, the you that was bound by sin and death, that transition of power that we talked about, that, that was now dead. It's transition. That has no more power over you. For you are dead, and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. Not hidden from us, but hidden for us. Praying in the Spirit is the key that unlocks the mystery of what God has for you and I in Christ. The Word of God will stir that up. It'll stir things up, but prayer will begin to unfold and enlighten and bring light to things that we don't understand, things that are a mystery to us, things that will pertain to our gifting, to our calling, the things that we do not know. God will reveal those secrets. He says, a man that's praying in an unknown tongue is not speaking unto men, but he's speaking unto God. And in the spirit, he's declaring mysteries about his life. He goes on to say this, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. But he who speaks in tongues edifies himself, edifies himself. When we're praying in the spirit, we begin to edify, build up, charge up our inward man. With everything that's going on, I encourage you that prayer, prayer without ceasing, prayer when you get in your car, prayer when you go home, prayer when you go to bed, prayer when you wake up, doesn't have to be long just to stir up your spirit, man, because there are things from the outside that are trying to wear people down and wear people out. The strategies of the devil and the spirits of darkness are just to keep moving at a steady pace to wear you out. And God says, I have a plan that you do not have to be worn out, but you can continually be building yourself up, building yourself up, building yourself up. Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul said, I understand this one thing, that this power, this treasure that is in me is not of me, that it's of God, that I keep it powered up. So the power is not of me. The power, the strength is of God. So when I'm hard pressed on every side, I'm not crushed. When I'm perplexed, I'm not in dismay. When I'm persecuted, I know that I'm not forsaken. He understood that what he was going through was really something that as he prayed and built himself up, the power of God strengthened him. He, he prays for the church that we would be strengthened in Colossae and Ephesians, that we would be strengthened with mighty power by his spirit in our inner man. How does that happen? By us praying in the Holy Ghost. When we pray, it unlocks mysteries and secrets about our life and what God has for us. In the book of Jude, verse 20, praise the Lord, there's only one chapter. There is only one chapter. There you go. Jude, verse 20, he says, but you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He said, listen, when you begin to pray in the Spirit, you begin to build up your faith in God. You begin to strengthen yourself in the faith in God. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans, the 8th chapter. Twenty-six verse. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What are our weaknesses? He's talking about everything that's going on in the world, everything that's happening in the world, all the ups and downs that are going on. He says, what's going on here? What, what's happening here? You know, the scientists may have all kinds of reasons for why it's happening, but he says right here, there's things that are going on in the earth today because all creation is travailing. All creation is groaning. What's it groaning? What's it groaning and travailing and waiting for? The manifestations of the sons of God. Let me just tell you, the earth is going to continue to groan until Jesus comes. But what it's groaning for right now is for the sons and the daughters of God to rise up and manifest, for them to bring forth righteousness and a light into the world. 
He says, if we, if we have a hope that we don't see, we eagerly press towards it. If we have this hope in us that we can rise up, that we can overcome, that we can speak into the things of this world and make a change and cause righteousness to come about in the world, but in our nation, proclaim righteousness. It says, listen, when we hope for that, we eagerly expect that. And he says, well, we don't know how to bring that about. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for when we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. The Spirit himself helps us. I want to read this from the Passion Translation. Verse 26, it says, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best thing to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sigh to deep, too deep for words. God, the searcher of the hearts, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plans for our destiny. Whew. Come on, he says, the Holy Spirit takes a hold when we don't know how to get through the troubles of life to intercede for us, to intercede for the saints, to bring about God's destiny, God's plan. I want to take a few minutes tonight, and if the worship team will come. I love that song they've been singing the couple uh, of last couple of weeks. God, I want to make room for you. I want to make room for you. We have some time tonight, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, in the morning, where we just want to make room for him. And I know that we've been doing this, but in, in praying about it, I want to start tonight. And I know we don't have a, a lot of people here tonight. We have people watching. But if you're at home, listen to this. Don't turn off. Just begin to kneel at your couch wherever you are. I believe it's really a time for the church to say, I consecrate myself. God, I come before you. I come behind the veil. What a privilege to come behind the veil. And I approach right now the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Listen, there's a change in thinking. And if we don't take a hold for us and say, God, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done. I'm here for mercy. I've struggled with things throughout my life. I've struggled with things. I've struggled with the past. I've struggled with relationships. I've struggled with my family. I've struggled with my inadequacies. I've struggled with my mistakes. But right now, in this time, in this generation, and let it, instead of the enemy just keeping that going, we sit there and say, I've struggled with all that, but I'm here right now, understanding that Jesus was a forerunner and his blood is right here. And I lay it all right here at the throne of grace to obtain your mercy. Come on, if you tonight can obtain the mercy of God, something immediately, you'll feel washed, you'll feel cleansed. You know, if you say, well, you know what? I have already got that. I'm, I'm there. Then it's a good night to say, God, I'm right here. What do you want me to do? What's your divine destiny? I'm here for grace. I'm here to understand the grace that's in my life, the gifting that's in my life what you're calling me to do in this day, in this hour. How do I stand up? How do I be an influence where I'm at? How with all of the division and the strife and the politicking that's going on, how do I stand up for righteousness? How do I influence people? How do I convey to people the critical time that we're in right now that it's not about the rhetoric, it's not about the politicking, it's about righteousness and looking past all that and making decisions of righteousness. God, empower me, grace me to do what I need to do at this point. It's a time of consecration and dedication of the church so the church can be who the church is. And from that place of grace, we can begin to steward. And from what's on the inside of us, if it stirs up, I can just tell you, from the inside, our intercession for our nation, our intercession for our leaders begin to get greater and greater because what God's stirring from the inside of us, because we've stirred up the gift. We're not trying to deal out of our intellect, but we've stirred up what's on the inside of us. And the power of that is really to a place where we begin to know. So tonight I want us to just take the opportunity for a few minutes to pray. We're going to sing this song once, and then whether you kneel there or you come to the altar, we want to make room for him. We have to make a declaration, God, I'm making room for you. 
It wasn't just room to take out an hour on Sunday night and go out in a snowstorm, but in my heart, in my life, I'm making room for you. I surrender my life to your plan for my life so that we can be, take that place of power and authority, power and authority, not just at the throne of grace where we have joy in the presence of God, but where we seat at the right hand of God and we enjoy and we have pleasure with him, but the power and authority that comes from the right hand. And so let's, why don't you stand up? We're going to sing, but as they sing, just as you're moved to kneel, to come to the front, we're just going to begin to make room for him and pray and allow God to move on our hearts. Begin to pray and allow things to be moved out so God can move in to obtain mercy and in that place find some grace to help us in time of need.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, for your presence. Thank you, Lord. I have this one thing, it seems so clear as I search my heart as somebody who's watching through live stream or some facet Facebook or you've dealt with chronic things for a number of years. Seems like you're just getting over one thing and something else begins. But as Jonathan was singing that learning to let go, I just saw in the Spirit of God, I just saw it. You're trying to control it. You want to let go, but so many things have happened, but you've got a hold of that, and it's the source of that, that if you'll learn to let go. It's not only chronic issues, but with that first offense, and you thought, it's just that one thing, but then someone else offended you, and then something else happened, and something else didn't go right, and something else broke down, and you've just held that accumulation, and you've been trying to control those things and pray about it, but God says, just let go. Just let go. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to be afraid. Let go of the past. Make room. And when you do, there will be miraculous change in your physical body. Miraculous change. It will all begin to go away until it is all gone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We glorify you. We magnify you. Praise the Lord. And there's just an awesome presence here. I trust wherever you are, there's just that awesome presence of God. But it's just not tonight. It's not just because of the music, although that corporate anointing can really usher in. But wherever you are, you can sing unto the Lord. You can put something on that ministers to you. Stop and pray. And that same presence of God will come wherever you are, in your home, in your car, wherever you are. As you begin to make room for him, let me just understand, you have to make room because God is bigger, bigger. He'll expand your capacity, but you can't have, we can't have our thoughts all filled up with all of the things that bombard our mind. We have to clear that, wash that out, make room for his thoughts, for his ways, for his imaginings for us that we might have vision and clarity. We can't let things stress us out. We have to drop that and make room for peace to flood our hearts and guard our hearts and our minds. So it's just a practice today. I believe we're going to see more times when we come to the altar where we kneel and pray. We make room. God wants to do great things. When I was a teenager with the church that I went to, they had altar services. Man, lives were being changed regularly as people came. I love this song because it reminds me of that just as I am, Lord, without one plea, just as I am, I'm coming. This is that same type of spirit in this song. I'm coming. I'm laying it all down. I'm making room for you. God answers that prayer. I'll make room for you. So I just encourage you. God wants us to stir up the gifts. He wants us to be strong in this day and this time. And I want to encourage you. He doesn't want us to just be strong for the next nine days and then if something doesn't seem to go the way we want politically, no, he wants us to stay strong as a church no matter what. We're going to continue to pray fervently with our authority concerning the leadership of our nation, what's going on right now in the elections on Monday, Tuesday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. 
But as that is as important, the place where you come in that authority and power is making room for God to stir up what's in you and bring out of what's in you in that intercessory prayer for our president, for our nation, for the elections that are coming up. So we stay, as Paul said, I pray without ceasing. Continue to have that attitude of prayer. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, if you weren't here this morning or weren't prepared with your tithes and offerings, we want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're giving at home, there's a number of ways to give. You can text give. You can go online and give. Um, You can send it in by mail. If you're here, by chance, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope if you have an offering to give. I know we don't have a ton of people because of the storm, but amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We do praise you. God, for your presence in this place. I thank you that you're dealing with every heart and every life. I thank you that you are strengthening each one in our inner man by the Spirit of God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and you begin to remind us concerning your word, bringing things to our remembrance, that we truly might be meditating on your word day and night and night and day, that you are creating ways and avenues for us to be successful, not just in our job and financially, but successful in the call that you have for our life, successful in our marriages, successful in our families, successful in the ministry that you've called us to individually and corporately. I thank you, Lord, through that meditation of the word and praying in the spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to translate that word into life and into every area of our life, that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. And being as we apply that word, you said we we would be blessed in the doing of it. And so I thank you even now as people are giving that the blessings of God have been commanded upon them. And when your blessing has been commanded, no enemy, the enemy of hell, no other person can curse that blessing. Only we can turn that blessing. And so we remain and declare your blessing upon each one's life. We declare your blessing, what you've commanded for us. We agree with that upon our life. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for blessing. We thank you for healing. We thank you for success. We thank you for all that you're doing, have done for us. You're doing in us what you desire to do through us. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.